this better? No? Okay. Um, good morning. I'm so happy. Or good afternoon. I'm sorry. I keep forgetting. It's 1230. <laughs> um, first of all, I just want to say thank you to the worship team. The music selection was perfect for, you know, the series that we're going through right now. So I loved that. It really hit home to me. Um, so as you guys know, we are currently doing a three-part series about Ruth and um, her love and legacy. And Last week, we did chapter one. So just a quick recap of chapter one. We had this family, uh, Naomi and Elimelech, and they were in a famine in Judah, in Bethlehem, Judah, and they took their two sons and they moved to Moab to escape this famine to provide for their family. And they took their two sons with them. And shortly after they got there, the husband Elimelech died. And then their two sons married two women, Moabite women. And what we learned was that Moab wasn't a godly place. It wasn't a place where they were allowed to kind of the Jews and the Moabites intermingle. But the two of them got wives from uh, the Moabites, and they had Ruth and Orpah. About 10 years later, um, the two husbands, those two boys also died. So now we have Ruth, Orpah, and Naomi, three widows. And then after that, Orpah decided to go back to the Moabites to live with her family, with her tribe, to have a second chance at marriage and starting all over again. But Ruth made a different decision. Ruth made a life-changing decision because her faith transformed her. And because of that transformation of faith, Ruth decided to cling to Naomi and to cling to God because that was more important to her. And that showed genuine love and a spiritual commitment to both Naomi and God. And she decided to go back to Bethlehem, Judah. And that choice and that decision has forever changed history. And we saw how at Ruth's lowest point of pain, she decided to cling to God and to make it a point of transformation. And we ended the chapter with the both of them back in Judah and how it was at God's perfect timing because it was around mid to late April and that's when um, the beginning of the barley harvest began. And that's kind of where we're going into chapter two, when they got to Judah during the barley harvest. So there was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. So Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean the heads of grain after him, in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. So right away, we meet this great man named Boaz. And it tells us right away that Boaz is of great wealth. And made sure to like point that part out. And just a quick recap of who Boaz is. Boaz is the son of Rahab. So for those that don't know who Rahab is, when the people of Israel were approaching the promised land, they got to Jericho and there was a wall around Jericho and they, spent two, they sent two spies in there to kind of check it out, to see what it looked like. To, so when they come to take over Jericho, they can kind of have an idea on how to like attack it. So when they got there, there was a woman named Rahab and she was living within the walls of the city. And she was a harlot and she was um, a Gentile. So she wasn't of their faith and she had like a different lifestyle. So they came and she said, I will protect you guys, I will hide you guys, and I'll help you guys escape in exchange for you guys to save my life and to save my family's life. So she helped them escape, and when they um, came to take over Jericho, they saved her and her family that were inside of that wall. So they saved that family. And from there, 
Rahab decided to leave her past life, to leave her culture, to leave her beliefs, and she married into the faith, and she married a guy named Salmon who was part of the Israelites. And he was actually a prince of the house of Judah, and he was a leading family in Israel. And so with Rahab and Salmon, they actually gave birth to Boaz. So Boaz is wealthy, and he comes from a really well-respected and family from history, and a really wealthy family within the Jews. And then right away, when Ruth, in verse 2, when Ruth got to Judah, she got to work. She wanted to provide for Naomi. She asked to glean in the fields. So remember, this is the beginning of the barley harvest. And when she asked to glean in the fields, what that meant was when the harvesters go through to get the harvest, they actually leave a lot behind for the poor people. And this was actually a welfare program that God told them in Leviticus to do to make sure that they were taking care of those in need. And it was a beautifully established law um, in Leviticus 19, 9 through 10. God said, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. And you shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. So this was a beautiful law that God provided for the Jews to make sure that it's ingrained in them, that they're taking care of the poor and the needy. And so Ruth and Naomi, they got there to Bethlehem, and they knew that they had a need. And they knew that they, didn't have, they needed some way to provide. They were not embarrassed of their need. They didn't try to pretend like they were okay and they had it all together. They said, I have a need, and they had faith in God that he was going to provide for them. And they decided, I'm going to go take action. I'm going to go out to the fields, and God's going to provide and help me find favor in the sight of whoever's fields I go to. And even if it was hard work, even if it was part of the welfare program, that didn't bother Ruth. She went out and she said, we have a need. We need help, and I'm going to do what I can to provide, and I know God will protect and provide for me. And here we see how her, their need opened up an opportunity for God to work. When you have a need, that's where you see God most powerfully. Needs are God's primary vehicle to change our lives. A lot of times we try to act like we have it all together, that we don't need help, we don't need God, we don't need anybody else to help us. But that's not true. And we try to figure out, fill things in our, like fill our voids and fill our needs with other things, or we try to do it all, of our, all ourselves. But that's not how it works. Only God can fulfill that need for us. Only God can help provide for us. So Ruth saw that there was a need, and she took a leap of faith by moving to Judah. She made her home in a foreign land. And instead of depending on Naomi or waiting for some good fortune to happen for her, she decided to take initiative, to take the first step, to trust that God will provide, and he will help her find favor in a field. And if we're waiting for God to provide, have we considered that he may be waiting for us to admit that we have a need? And maybe he's waiting for us to take the first step or initiative just to show how important that need is for us. And then we continue in verse 3. What does it say? And she happened. I love how it says, and she happened to come to the field. As if it was by accident. Right? But it was actually God working throughout this whole time. And what I love about the story of Ruth is that God is not this prominent character working in miraculous ways, right? He's actually behind the scenes, and 
they're doing the next right step, making the next right decisions, and then God is there through the ordinary and mundane, arranging everything and working. God can use our ordinary faithfulness to bring us where we are meant to be. How we live our faithfulness to our ordinary lives at work, at home, at school, in our relationships, in our parenting, in our marriage, that is more important than selling all that you have and giving to the poor. Yes, that's great. But living a faithful everyday, day-to-day life is more important. God works through the ordinary faithfulness. Ruth lived an ordinary and mundane life. Her task was mundane. It was tiring. It was perhaps degrading. But she did it faithfully. And listen, it is no small thing to live a faithful life. Fold the laundry. Do your homework. Budget your finances. Listen to a friend. Change those diapers. Make dinner. Do the dishes. God is in all those little small details of faithfulness in our lives. And like Ruth, if you just go about your daily task, you'll see that God is working in ways that you didn't even notice. We must not close the door on what God can do. Events do not occur by luck or coincidence. It didn't just happen. God is directing our lives for his purpose. We just have to live the ordinary faithfully. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servants who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, It is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. So right away, Boaz comes in and he's checking on his workers, right? And right away we see what kind of man Boaz is. I mean, the way he talks to his workers and treats them, people that can't really pay him back, right? They're working for him. But he talks to them with respect and with blessing. And we see here that he's such a spiritually centered man. It's not compartmentalized. He wasn't godly with his workers or just godly in secret at home. He was godly with everybody. And he was godly around his workers at home everywhere. And he blesses his workers. He set the tone for the day. How many of us would love it when we get to, the, when we get to work, our boss would be like, God bless you, and sets that positive tone for the day. That's what he did. He went in and he set the tone for his workers saying, you know, God bless you guys, the Lord be with you. And he notices everybody in his fields. So he's very, like, you know, he pays attention to everybody around him, and he notices Ruth in the fields. And he asks his workers about her. And the workers tell him, you know, this is the Moabite woman that came with Naomi, you know, her mother-in-law. And she's been here working, and she's been working hard. She's been here from morning and night. She took a little bit of rest, but she's been hard working. And we see how her reputation began to spread around as this, the woman that came from Moab to help her mother-in-law to take care of her and is working hard. Verse 8, then Boaz said to Ruth, you will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go to glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close by my young women. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? 
And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. So she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? And Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for my mother-in-law since the death of your husband, and how you have left your father and your mother and the land of your birth, and have come to a people whom you did not know before. The Lord repay your work, and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Then she said, Let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. So perhaps in this moment, Boaz had a flashback of his mom being a foreigner, but he heard what she had done. He heard all that she sacrificed, and he knew what it cost Ruth because his mom did something very similar. And she took the risk, and she took a step of faith, and she came under the covenant care of God, under the God's refuge. And here we see that Boaz provides for Ruth. He provides provision, he provided protection, and he provided friendship. Boaz was such an excellent example of what it means to be a godly man. He blesses people. He protected her, and he commanded the other men not to mess with her. Guys, I'm going to go on a little side note here, okay? When we see other guys talking down, or res- talking down to or disrespecting other women, it is your job as a godly man to step up and say, it's not okay. All right? Just like Boaz wouldn't let any of his men mess with Ruth or take advantage or of a young, vulnerable, poor, new, beautiful woman, which was extremely radical for that time. Because remember, in that time and culture, women were property. But he stood up and he told, commanded his men, don't mess with her, don't touch her. All right? So like Boaz, a man of God sets the standards. He doesn't follow everybody else. He sets the tone. And he blesses, he is gracious, and he protects. This whole toxic masculinity where you disrespect or demean or degrade women because it's funny, it's a joke, it's a good rap song, it's not okay, all right? It's not godly. Like Boaz, you step up and say, don't mess with this girl. This is God's daughter, all right? So that's just like my little side note. We can learn so much about what it means to be a godly man from Boaz. So Boaz notices and sees her and shows that he's a genuine man of character by providing and protecting her. And then you also see through this that Ruth's reputation, it precedes her. Her testimony opened up so many doors for her. Her testimony was lived out loud. Your testimony can open doors or it can close doors. Are you living out your testimony? Is your reputation the same and consistent no matter your environment? Those of us that might be like looking for a job or you know whatever it may be, what you put on Facebook or Instagram, that's your reputation. Are you living out your testimony? Or are you one person on social media, one person in front of you know, your certain friends, one person around other at work? Are you different people around, you know, depending on your environment? And the answer is not to make your profile private. That's not what I'm trying to say. It's where like, people can't see it. The answer is to have a consistent testimony, to make sure your life is a consistent testimony no matter your environment. But what I want to point out here is noticing how throughout this, Ruth, her testimony about her attitude and her sweetness. 
In verse 2, when she asked Naomi, she said, please let me glean the fields. In verse 7, she was talking to the workers and she asked, please let me glean. In verse 10, she bowed down and respected and said, why have I found favor in your eyes? She still has this graciousness and sweetness in her, even though she lost her husband, she lost her father-in-law, her brother-in-law, was on this long journey, left her home, and is working a hard, tiring job. But she did not let those bitter experiences rob her of her sweetness and her humbleness and her graciousness. And that within itself is such an unusual and beautiful testimony from Ruth. Now Boaz said to her at mealtime, come here and eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed parched grain to her and she ate and was satisfied and kept some back. And when she rose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. Also let grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. Leave it that she may glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening and beat out what she had gleaned. And it was about an ephah of barley. Then she took it up and went into the city and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. So she brought out and gave to her what she had kept back after she had been satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where have you gleaned today? And where did you work? Blessed be the one who took notice of you. So her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. So Boaz comes at the end at mealtime and decides to share a meal with her. And at that time, that was a huge gesture of hospitality and kindness in this culture. And Ruth received undeserved grace and generosity from Boaz. And we see how generous Boaz is with how much he's providing for her. Are we generous in spirit like Boaz? When we see the needs of people, are we willing to give? Or are we always anxious, feeling like we never have enough and we want to hold on tight to what we have or keep our distance? And we see here God's economic policy is so different than ours, right? In Proverbs 11, verse 24 through 26, it says, There is one who scatters, yet increases more, but it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. Those who, those who are generous, God will continue to bless. But if you hold on tight, it will lead to scarcity. And we see that Ruth wasn't just thinking of herself here. She saved some food on the side for Naomi. She had enough to where she was satisfied and she was able to take some back for Naomi. She was still always keeping her mother-in-law on her forefront, taking care of her. But most importantly, she accepts the gifts and the invitation from Boaz. So here, this is for, you know, for the single people. Ruth was content to serve where she was needed. She was content to serve and do the necessary work and she wasn't there to find a husband. But Ruth also responded well to the invitation. For single women and men, like this can go for both ways, but I know, you know this can also relate mostly to the single woman, but for everybody really. She didn't just wait around. She got to work, she knew the customs, and she didn't let the status of her singlehood define her. She worked hard and she pursued the life in front of her. But she also responded to the kindness and gesture 
And she didn't sit there and roll her eyes and say, why do guys always think I need help? Why is he trying to be there for me? Like, why is he trying to hold, like, do nice things for me? She, like, she wasn't, like, giving him attitude. She accepted it. And she responded to his biblical masculinity with biblical femininity. And she was not emptied or stripped of her strength or her appetite or her goals. She wasn't weak with any respect. She responds with kindness and grace and good attitude. And Boaz and Ruth are actually a really great example of not just marriage, but the pursuit of marriage. The pursuit of love and marriage and going towards that courtship. So our dating dynamics cannot solely rely on the men's initiative. A man needs a woman who will respond and interact in a way that encourages his attention if she wants it. All right, a healthy biblical man wants a woman that will respond to his initiatives and is transparent and isn't playing, you know, coy or playing, trying to play games with him. A healthy biblical man um, wants a woman that responds to his initiatives and is transparent. And it's not fair for a woman to say, I want him to pursue me and to find the key to my heart, but then we keep, you know, the secrets of how to do that under lock and key and we, you know, let him try to figure it out, right, by himself. Like, that's not fair. And that goes for married women as well. Sometimes we try to do that. It's not fair for the guy. Like, Ruth responded to his initiatives and she accepted it. And hear me out, the answer is not to wait for your Boaz, okay? That is not the theme of this story, because as we see, Boaz is Christ in this story, okay? If you want to look for a Boaz in your life, look for Christ, and don't look for a man of this world. The answer is to do the good and faithful work you're called to do. And when the opportunity shows up, respond. And desiring marriage is a good thing, okay? Don't be ashamed of that. That's a good thing. Marriage is a good thing to desire. But marriage is not the ultimate. Okay, be faithful to the life you're called to. Be faithful there. Serve well. Flourish there. And respond well. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord, who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, This man is a relation of ours and one of our close relatives. Ruth the Moabitess said, He also said to me, You shall stay close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with this young woman, go out with his young woman, and that people do not meet you in any other field. So she stayed close by the young woman of Boaz to glean until the end of the barley harvest and wheat harvest, and she dwelt with her mother-in-law there. So... Naomi remembers Boaz, and she's like, oh, he's a relative. He's a kinsman redeemer, and we'll talk about that term. But Ruth didn't even finish talking about her day, and Naomi's already talking about, like, marriage. It's, like, equivalent to you going on your first date, and your mom's looking them up on Facebook. What is his job? Can he provide? You know, things like that. That's kind of, like, what was happening here, okay? But you see here that Naomi is, like, encouraging the process. Like, she could have told her, you're never going to find another man like my husband. How dare you go look around for another guy? No, she encourages the process and wants her to have a second chance. And we see here as we're ending chapter 2 that the undercurrent theme through all this is God's providence and provision. God is using natural, ordinary events to have a supernatural and extraordinary outcome. The events didn't just happen. God was lining up everything through the faithful, everyday tasks. In the same way God is providing and working in our everyday life. All of our provisions come from the Lord. In Philippians 4.19, it says, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Jesus wants to redeem you. 
He wants to provide for you, not for what you want, but for what you need. And everything that we have comes from the Lord. So as we close out from this chapter, we're going to go into chapter 3. It's really short, but here's the kind of the heart of the the romance and kind of like their unique courtship. They have a very unique courtship that we'll see here. But the greatest love story of all is God's love for his people. And Boaz is such a beautiful picture and foreshadowing of Christ. And not only how Christ is able to redeem us, but how he wants to redeem us. And same with Boaz. Not only is he able to be Ruth's kinsman redeemer and and able to redeem her because he's a relative, but he wants to redeem her. So chapter 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? Now Boaz, whose young woman you are with, is he not our relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself. Put on your best garment and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Then it shall be, when he lies down, that you shall notice the place where he lies. And you shall go in, uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what you should do. And she said to her, all that you say to me, I will do. So Naomi wants to get things going. She's over here playing matchmaker, and she just wants to get things going and get moving along. So Naomi also wants to sell the land. And the only way to do that is for the next relative, the kinsman redeemer. And whoever was to buy the land would also marry Ruth. So a kinsman redeemer is someone who is next of kin, the next closest relative, and what he would do is he would marry the widow and take responsibility of the extended family and also buy the land for the inheritance. So Boaz's role as, as the kinsman redeemer here is also, again, a foreshadowing of Christ being our kinsman redeemer. And so right here, Naomi's basically telling her, look, go ahead, get dressed up, you know, get washed up, put on makeup, put on your finest dress, be, be a knockout, basically, okay? So you can go, like, you know, show your, like, you can win him over. And Here we saw that Naomi is seeing an opportunity of redemption for Ruth. And Boaz this whole time has made his intentions pretty clear about providing and protecting her. But they're giving him kind of a chance to back out just in case. So she tells her to go to Boaz while he's out there on the threshing floor at night. So this request sounds really awkward and weird, I know. Um, But basically what Boaz was doing was he was out there protecting his harvest from thieves. So what they would do is the, thresh, the threshing floor was the area where they would separate the grain um, from the harvested wheat. And then Boaz would actually spend the night, because he's the owner of the field, he would spend the night to prevent thieves from coming to steal the harvest. And he would wait his turn in the morning to thresh the grain since daylight was usually when they spent the time harvesting. So he would kind of get everything prepared. All right, so we've been getting good dating advice this whole time from Ruth and Boaz, but this isn't one of those dating advices so don't go out there to creep into a guy's room and sleep at his feet you're going to go to jail for that so we had good dating advice until this point this is just a you know a thing they did but we don't get advice from that all right but a beautiful meditation that i read about this point that i absolutely loved was when ruth came to lay down at his feet it was a a sign of submission and surrender and because boaz is a foreshadowing of christ we are also to put ourselves at the feet of Christ. 
And putting ourselves at Christ's feet is showing submission and surrender. And our Orthodox faith has such a beautiful way of showing that whenever we do prostrations, matanyas, or you know, bowing down, and different variant forms of this external gesture. We do different forms of it, right? But this gesture is to show submission to God and surrendering to God, saying, God, my, my logic is not yours. It's not mine. It's all yours. Like, please, God, you know, you're, we're surrendering ourselves down and submitting ourselves down to his feet. Verse 6. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And she came softly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled, and he turned himself, and there a woman was lying at his feet. And he said, Who are you? So she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. So here... Ruth is basically, she's proposing to him, all right? And she's looking for protection. And they are people of integrity, so nothing happened here. This was not like a sexual moment. She proposed, and she knew they went out for a risk, but they knew that both Ruth and Boaz were godly people, and this was just a proposal, okay? Then he said, Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, and that you did not go after young men whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request. For all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. Now it is true that I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. Stay this night, and in the morning it shall be that if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, good, let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you as the Lord lives. Lie down until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, and she arose before one could recognize another. Then he said, Do not let it be known that the woman came, from, came to the threshing floor. Also he said, Bring the shawl that is on you and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six ephahs of barley and laid it on her. Then she went into the city. When she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Is that you, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her. And she said, These six ephahs of barley he gave me. For he said to me, Do not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Then she said, Sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out. For the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. So Boaz starts off by telling her, Blessed are you for not going after younger men. Because remember, Boaz is related to Elimelech and Naomi. So he's around their age. So Ruth is about half his age. And Boaz could have really easily claimed Ruth from the very beginning, right? But he didn't want to cut corners. And, this, and, and it's also because this is a story of two godly people pursuing love. It's about the pursuit. And Boaz didn't want to cut any corners. And he was truthful. And he told her, look, there is actually somebody closer than me. And he still consistently, we saw that he still kept continuing to be generous and wanted to take care of her and Naomi, even though he knew that he might not be the next of kin. But he wanted to continue to take care of them, and he sent her home with about, that, that amount was about 60 pounds of grain. So that continued to show his generosity towards them. And when Boaz said, you know what, I'm not next of kin, there's actually somebody closer of a relative to me, if I was Ruth, that would have freaked me out, right? Because 
you don't know who, she doesn't even know that there was another relative, so she doesn't know who that is. She doesn't know if he'll protect her and provide for her and Naomi like Boaz has been this whole time. She doesn't know if they're going to get along, like she doesn't know anything. But instead, we saw that Naomi and Ruth really believed that God was going to take care of them because this whole time, he has been showing their provision. He has been protecting them and blessing them this entire time. And Naomi reassured her that everything will be taken care of because Boaz is a man of his word. He's a man of integrity. He's going to make sure that you guys are, t that we're taken care of. And she tells Ruth, sit still. Sit still. Boaz, just like Christ, is consistent. He's been constantly providing, constantly taking care of them this whole time. And Naomi knew that he was going to come through and continue this consistency of taking care of him, taking care of them. And just like God, God, when we sit still, he's constantly providing for us and will bring it to completion, bring his work to completion. Just like in Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. When things get to seem to get to like this stressful point and we've been doing everything we can and all of a sudden we get to this point where we're like, we can't do anymore. What are we going to do when we start freaking out and saying, is this, gonna, is this problem going to be solved? Be still. Sit still. You've done your part. God is consistent. He's been taking care of you this whole time. He will continue to be consistent. He will continue to bring you provision. And he will bring his good work to completion. And the chapter here ends with the suspense because now Ruth might not end up with Boaz, but Ruth and Naomi, we see that they're continuing to put their trust in God and they know that it will be taken care of because he's been providing for them this entire time. So my prayer for each and every single one of us is that we live our day-to-day -day lives faithfully and with hope and trust that all of our provisions are from the Lord. That like Ruth, we take initiative we take, the next we take the next right step, and we trust God for his guidance and provision, even through the mundane and difficult day-to-day -day lives. God will take our ordinary tasks and bless it with supernatural outcome. And when we're living a faithful life, that we live it with trust and hope, but also the openness of heart with no bitterness so we are able to invite and accept the blessings and protection that God has for us. So if we can stand up for a prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, I pray for each of us to live faithful lives, trusting in your provision. I pray for your protection and guidance in each of our lives. Lord, I pray for all of us to be godly men and women and to learn from the virtues of Ruth and Boaz on how to have biblical masculinity and femininity of good reputation and that our lives are a living testimony of your grace and glory. I pray, Lord, for all the single men and women that you give them the strength to live out God-honoring faithful lives and relationships. I pray this, Lord, through your holy and precious name and through the intercessions of St. Mark, St. Mary, and all your saints, hear us as we pray and say thankfully, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. In the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right, guys. So next week will be our last um, talk for the series of Ruth. And um, please feel free.